Now, I don't know if you can share or understand, just alone with you and God in your heart, uh, how do you handle that whole issue of homosexuality? Is it hard for you? Do you tend to judge others? I mean, how do you balance that between Scripture teaching that it's clearly a sin and yet loving people? Where do you fall in that? How do you manage that? Especially if somebody in your family is a homosexual. Or or if you are struggling with homosexual tendency, how do you handle that? uh, Do you get judgy? Now before we just leave it there, think about the things that you have had to say or do in other areas of your life. Have you ever said to your children, you're not hanging around with him? You can't spend time with him or her anymore. Have you ever said that to your kid about another kid? Well, I suspect if you are a good parent, you have. Have you ever said, well, I would never, to a friend, I would never go to that mechanic. Have you ever made that judgment before? Have you ever been asked to review an employee or a coworker or give a reference and you, by conscience, had to give a bad reference or say, I will not give a reference? Have you ever made that judgment before? You have, I'm sure you have if you're, you have employees that answer to you. Have you ever said to a family member or friend that, you know, sleeping with your boyfriend or sleeping with your girlfriend is wrong? Have you ever made that judgment before? Have you ever shared with somebody that Jesus is the Savior, which implies we need saving, and so said, we are sinners, and we are broken because of our sin and separated from God, and therefore we need one who will bridge that gap, pay for our sin, and bring reconciliation with God through the the forgiveness of sins. Have you ever shared that with anybody? Were you ever that judgmental? Telling them they're sinners? So if, if you, you have practiced any of those things, how do you deal with Ch- uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, Jesus speaking, do not judge. Now let me say that again. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And we live in a culture where people have have moved in our culture to, to find fulfillment and meaning and purpose in life, not through God, but apart from God. And so instead our culture teaches us to look within and discover our identity and whoever or whatever we discover is who we are and we should have the freedom to live that out. And if you stand in judgment on anybody, you are intolerant, you are unkind, and you are wrong. In fact, didn't Jesus say, don't judge others? Now let's hold that thought for a second. Just pin it right there. 
Let's back out a bit on this and remember where we're at. So Jesus says, I want you to be salt and light. He's talking to those who claim to be his followers. Salt to preserve, not culture, preserve the knowledge of God and the gospel in our world. And light to point people to Jesus, to God, to be the light that reveals who Jesus is. Okay, I want to be salt and light. How do I do that? And Jesus says, well, here's how you do it. And he preaches a whole sermon. He said, you follow me. Well, what does it mean to follow you? It means to obey me. Obey. What does it mean to obey? Well, here, let me give you a sermon on that. And so chapters 5 through 7 of Matthew is Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And in it, he highlights what it means to obey, the kind of heart we should have, as well as the kind of actions we should have. And so this chapter is about obeying him, and now we're coming near the end of his sermon, or rather those chapters, and now we're coming near the end of his sermon, and he leans into this idea of not judging. But hold on here a second. Because those verses are just a part of a pericope. Yes, I said that word, pericope, and pericope just means a section of Scripture. And so this is just the first two verses of a whole pericope that is communicating truth. And the rest of the pericope says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you? Say to a brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye. You hypocrite. First take this plank. Now that's a ridiculous metaphor, really, when you think about plank out of your eye. And and, and try to deal with the little speck in the eye of somebody else. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove a speck from your brother's eyes. Notice he doesn't say, don't bother with a speck in somebody else's eye. It's not your business. You're not to judge. Don't touch it. He says, no, deal with your own life first, and then go help another. Well, how do you, how do you help somebody with a speck in their eye if you don't judge that they have something in their life that needs to be fixed. Don't give to the dogs, verse (laughs) 6. Okay, just think about what Jesus is saying. Don't give to the dogs. When's the last time you were called a dog or a pig? Don't give to the dogs. Don't throw your pearls to the pigs. Would you be, Jesus called me a dog and a pig. I'm so excited. How do you know who a dog and a pig is? You have to make what? A judgment. It was a saying, and Jesus is saying it, don't give to the dogs. We'll talk about this in a second. And if you do... Because if you do, they may trample them under feet and turn and tear you to pieces. To actually do what Jesus is telling us to do in this whole pericope, we actually have to learn to judge. Jesus isn't telling us not to judge. He's teaching us how to judge well. You don't think 
That's true. Uh, just go to verse 15. We're going to talk about this, I think, next week. No, maybe it's the week after. Uh, Jesus in verse 15 of the same chapter 7. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wills. By their fruit you will recognize them. You will be able to judge them based upon their lifestyle. I thought we weren't supposed to judge. Jesus even tells uh, tells those around him to judge him. In 724, he's preaching and he's teaching and he says, stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. And he's talking about him, like all the works that he'd done. Stop judging me according to appearances. Judge me according to truth. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul is dealing with a brother who was sleeping with his father's wife. And that wasn't his mother, it was fathered remarried. And he says in verse 5, hand that man over to Satan. Now that's a powerful statement. Like for Paul, the reality of Satan working in his world was a legitimate fact. Satan isn't a metaphor. Satan is an evil being at work in the world attempting to destroy the church and all those who follow Christ. Hand that man over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. And he ends the chapter by saying... What business is of mine to judge the outside the church? Meaning, uh, like, why why would I be involved in judging people outside the church? They don't know Jesus. But are you not to judge those inside? The answer to to this rhetorical question is yes. God will judge those outside. Now you deal with the person inside. Expel the wicked person from among you. So apparently, to just say don't judge is not what Jesus was talking about. And yet he says, don't judge. (laughs) So what does he mean? The answer to that tension is found in the word that Jesus uses. In Greek, it's krino. K-R-I-N-O would be a transliteration of the word krino. But but that word has a wide um, use in both scripture and outside of scripture. So it can be used to mean somebody who is very negative, critical, condemnatory, harsh, belittling. Or it can be used for somebody who is discerning and wise and aligns things according to truth. That word can have a variety and a wide variety of uses. The context tells you which usage the author has in mind. And I think Jesus plays upon the tension, creates this tension by playing upon the word that can be used in different ways. And so when Jesus says, judge not, I think he's talking about that harsh, belittling, critical uh, spirit that attacks people and puts them down. And look at what he says. He says, judge not, or you too will be judged. In fact, the same way that you are harsh and critical 
and condemnatory and belittling to people, that's the way you are going to be treated. You will reap what you sow. Now, I'm, I, I, I want to say something that I think we as a church, not just us as Springville, but as a church in Canada, I think we need to think about this. At least think. And, and I was afraid I would say it wrong, so I wrote it down, and I'm just going to read it rather than say it off my memory and say the wrong thing. I may be wrong... This is me thinking. I may be wrong, but I wonder if Jesus' warning about, you know, you'll reap what you sow, is what is happening to the church, to us in Canada today. Think about it. For hundreds of years, the church, in all its forms, but Christianity was by far the dominant influence on laws, values, politics, and cultural mores. Our whole country is built upon Judeo-Christian principles straight from the Bible. Yet, today, we constantly hear stories, like the residential schools, for one, where we see the church treating people with intolerance, injustice, condemnatory ways, too often, those in power, backed by the attitude of the church, quietly condone the violence and abuses of power that targeted, marginalized, and despised people who promoted different values and morals or who were ethnically different than us. Stop. Too often, we sat by or even empowered those mindsets of abuse and intolerance. The church chose to control society by their power, not by love. Now, fast forward to today. And we, the church, feel targeted, marginalized, and despised in our culture. We feel powerless. One might say... The shoe is on the other foot. And I can't help but wonder if in part we are now living out the words of Jesus that we will reap what we have sown. And if we as a group of people, I'm not saying any one of you because some of us here are judgmental and condemnatory and some are people of grace and truth. And sometimes we're both. But as a church, we we had exercised that kind of influence, and I wonder that if we today, if we had obeyed Jesus' command not to judge, not to be that condemnatory, belittling, intolerant voice in society, the negative uh, type of attacking, what if we had truly loved those who even though they were diametrically opposed to our teaching and, and to our values and to the way that God says that is good, even if they were opposed to that, if we had prayed for them, pray for your enemies, right? Isn't that what Jesus said? And showed acts of love and compassion, might we now have more impact on the curriculum being taught in our schools? 
the marriage laws that govern our country, the government allocations of money to special interest groups, if we had displayed the love of Christ, might we not have more influence today? I think we are guilty to some degree of what Jesus said. Don't do this. And if you do, you'll reap it. And while that doesn't answer everything about our culture, I kind of got to think it's a factor. Isn't that what Margaret said she struggled with on the encounter? That her first instinct was to judge and be negative and critical of her own daughter. How much more will we be that way to people who aren't in our family? Now you would think, the way I've been leading you in this sermon, I'm going to just end it right here and say, stop judging. Well, I am in one sense. I agree with Jesus. And I fall under the condemnation that he has given because I have been judgmental. It's not like I don't struggle with this. I just tell you what Jesus is saying. I'm not pretending I'm actually living this out to every degree. I, I struggle in, in a sense that sometimes I struggle with people that are different and that hold different values. And I struggle because I want to protect myself. I want to maintain my position and I want to have power. And so then I, I come out that way. And Jesus said, no, don't do that. Ed, you want to live a life like that? You're going to reap that. And church, if you want to live a life of like that, you're going to reap that. Stop it. Instead, there's a better way. Judge better. Now, I think in the second part of this pericope, Jesus actually uses the second, the far side of this word, the discernment, the wise discerning according to truth understanding of this word. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye, paying no no attention to the plank in your own eye? Now, That is just, stop and think about what Jesus said. So for many of us here, we've already heard this saying before, so we don't miss it. But stop, this guy has this plank in his eye, and he's walking around. It's like from here to here is the pitcher, right? And he's walking around, swinging it all over the place, knocking people down as he's going, but he doesn't see the plank. It's absolute ridiculousness. Then he sees somebody who has a little, how did he see it? I don't know. A little speck in their eye. And hey, let me help you. And he's going to come over, bang on the head, bang on the shoulder, bang across the side of the back. That's just a ridiculous picture. Well, that's the point. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time you get this plank? It's impossible. It's impossible because you know what it's like when somebody who's a hypocrite comes to you and tells you you need to shape up and their own life is in a mess. And you're like, (laughs) why don't you clean your own life up before you come trying to clean mine up? That would be a fair interpretation of Jesus' words. Now notice Jesus is sending us to speak and to help people who have specks in their eyes. Who are struggling because they're not living in alignment with truth. Especially with the gospel. 
Because that's what we're called to do, salt and light. And so as you carry the salt and light, don't wield it like a sword where you're judgmental and damaging and cutting people to pieces, even if they believe something totally different than the word of God teaches. Jesus came to earth and he died for people like us who believed and lived totally opposite of what God said. So instead of wielding it like that, Jesus said, take the truth and let it first do its work in you. Let it first change you. Then, you are then able to help others who need to hear the truth. I mean, Crystal reminded me of this yesterday. And um, we were talking about how negative and judgmental we were, or used to be, I hope I can use that term, used to be, and, and especially with regard to parenting, how, how we would look at the failures of other parents in such a judgmental, self-righteous way, as if we really knew how to do it. <laughs> and then, that thinking was attacked a number of different ways through our lives, but the big one was, when our son came home and said, I got my girlfriend pregnant. Well, there's master parenting right there, isn't it? In that moment, God cut out the, he, he showed us the plank in our own eye. Crystal said, you know, remember how judgmental we were of people and how negative we were. And we didn't even see it. There's something about being humbled by God that creates within you a compassion and a brokenness, a humility with other people who are struggling. You don't put yourself above them anymore because you're there. Oh, the issues might be different, but you're still broken. And as we spent five years going through, which I've shared with you that whole situation, as we went five years through that, God just kept cutting away that negative, judgmental, self-righteous attitude within us so that there is a new, and I'm not perfect, but there's a new compassion for people who are struggling. And then Jesus says, now you're ready. Once the plank has been dealt with, and by the way, if you don't deal with it, Jesus will. And sometimes we just need him to deal with it because it's too big for us. But once you deal with that, Jesus says, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eyes. The, the term brother is a, an affectionate term. It communicates the idea of gentleness, compassion, humility. When, when you recognize and deal with your own sin, and isn't that true when it comes to sharing Christ with people? The gospel, isn't the gospel about sharing compassionately truth that can lead people to life? And yet sometimes we use it to prove our own self-righteousness, to, to kind of exalt ourselves above other people, to them and us. But the gospel is we're all broken, we're all sinners. And Jesus is the only one that was perfect, and he in his grace and love 
died to pay for our sins so that we could be reconciled with the Father. There's no, well, you church people, you're really special, and you're out in the world. <laughs> it's your, we're all broken. And so when we get a hold of that, the way we will talk about truth to another person is very different. If you're, um, by the way, if you're struggling with a parenting issue or a health issue or a money issue or a work issue or a relational issue, lean into it. Jesus is teaching you how, who you are and how to be more compassionate with people around you. Lean into it. It'll be painful. Lean into it. Be different. Let him shape you. Then he says this thing, um, don't give to the dogs what is sacred. Don't throw your pearls to the pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. What's with the dogs and the pigs? Now, we have to follow the thinking that Jesus has been outlining. We're in a sermon where he's calling us to follow him. This is the way. And then he kind of unloads in five through seven the way in certain circumstances that he deems are important to communicate. And one of them is the communication of the gospel that you do not take truth, especially the gospel, and hammer on people and cut them to pieces and be judgmental. You do not take it that way. Instead, you let the truth change you and then you share the truth. But not everyone is open to receive truth. Stop. Proverbs. Whoever corrects a mocker invites insults. Mocker somebody, yeah, right, what, whatever. <laughs> you believe that? Are you kidding? They mock the truth that you hold. Whoever corrects a mocker, you're going to get back insults. And whoever rebukes the wicked gets abuse back. Do not rebuke mockers or they will hate you. But rebuke the wise and they will love you. Now, Solomon didn't write, the, he wrote this a thousand years before Jesus. He didn't write this to say, don't stand up to the evil and the wrong. But he said, understand, when you're dealing with somebody, an employee, a child, a spouse, a fellow church member, uh, somebody you go on <laughs> rides, you know, you ride share with, understand, if you share truth with them, th some people will receive it. Scripture says they're wise. But some will reject it. They're not interested in it. They don't want to receive it. They get defensive. They get argumentative. They may even attack back. And that's who Jesus is talking about here. Notice the valuable things. Don't give them what is sacred. Don't throw your pearls. Sacred is that which is given from God and entrusted to us. What is more sacred than the gospel? Pearls are things that are wildly valuable. What is more valuable in this temporary life than the message of eternal life? 
But be careful, says Jesus. Because as you allow, uh, as you work to not be judgmental and, and not be condemnatory and harsh and belittling, and you live the truth out in your life, and you try to reach out to others to share the truth of Jesus with them, there will be some who do not want to hear it. And not only will some not want to hear it, some of those will actually turn on you and trample you under and cast the message in the mud, meaning it's worthless to them, and so are you. That's the force of what Jesus is saying. Let me close with two thoughts. If you have not received Jesus as your Savior, whether you're listening here or you're online listening, and you're hearing this story of the gospel, what's the gospel? The gospel is the truth that Jesus took our place on the cross to die for our sins so we could have his place in reconciliation with the Father, that by paying for our sins, all justice was met, and by putting faith in Jesus, his righteousness, his, 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 the debt that we owed is fully paid by him. And he, he, he ushers us through forgiveness of sins into reconciliation with the Father. That's the gospel. Now, we need to respond to it. Jesus speaks to us. He might be speaking to you right now through me. He speaks through the word of God. He speaks into our consciences. Thoughts that come in. He speaks to us through other people, through friends or family. He speaks to us in media. He speaks to us in many different ways, sometimes surprising ways. But he speaks to draw us to this sacred, valuable truth that we must choose to receive the gospel. We must choose to, first, the ABCs. You've heard it. Admit that we are broken and sinners before God and start looking, yeah, look at my life, God. Look at things in my life, things I'm ashamed that anybody knows, you know, and, and, and I admit, I confess, that's the biblical word, confess, and then believe that G only Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross is what's sufficient to pay the debt that we owe God, the righteous moral debt we incur by our sin is fully paid by Jesus on the cross, and we believe in that. We say, yes, that's what I want, that's what I need, I believe in and then we choose to surrender our life to God. The biblical word for that is repentance. We choose to say, I'm no longer seeking to live as I used to. I am now seeking to follow, to obey Jesus with my life, and I'm now on a new journey. Repentance, a total turn. But some of you are questioning whether or not you are going to believe that. And I just want to say to you, be very careful as you walk this path of making this decision because Jesus will take you at your word. The incredible thing about Jesus is that he is always right because he's God and he's truth. And yet he, he has such respect 
for every person, even people that curse him and laugh and mock and say he never, he hasn't, he created us in his image. He knows who we are by nature, our, our, who we are by our, the image of God, who we are created. He knows we're fallen, but he knows who we are created to be. And he has a deep dignity and respect for mankind because he created us. And so when we say to him, no, he says, okay, I accept your decision. That's how Jesus parents his people. He treats us with dignity and respect, and we have the right to say no to him. But we do not have the right to choose the consequences of that no. And so be very careful as you're making that decision, whether or not you're going to believe or follow Jesus, that the other route may seem appealing, but there are consequences of being separated from God. Chief among those is eternal separation. Where we exist in hell, separated from God. Because we choose that. I tell you and encourage you, be careful of the choice you are making. But Jesus will let you make it. He said, my spirit won't always strive with a person, and I will accept they are reasonable people who have the right to choose, and I will accept their choice. Now, the other thought I want to say is for those of you who are followers of Jesus and uh, want and are trying to reach people. You know, we've done the My Four. We encourage all of us to ask God for four people, at least four people in your life who you don't believe know God, and ask God, would you use me to somehow help them take at least one step closer to Jesus, maybe even come to Jesus, but at least help them make steps toward Jesus. And usually we choose people that we know well and are close to us because it's easier and comfortable and they need Jesus too. And so we intercede, we pray for them and we invest in their lives. We invest time and we invest money and we invest love. We, we build a relationship with them. We invest in them. And then when we come to invite them, we invite them, hey, why don't you come to church? Or hey, why don't you read the Bible? Or hey, uh, why don't you watch us online? Or hey, uh, why don't you come to Alpha with me? Or hey, uh, do you want to just, can I, we talk about what do you think the purpose of life is? What do you, where do you think we're going? And as soon as you do some sort of invitation, you get a pushback and maybe even a shove back. And so then you tend to go quiet. Now, I want to say to you, only you can figure out what I'm about to tell you, but maybe they are in a state where they have rejected God. And to keep hammering at the door of their life is not helping them nor you. Most fishermen I know, when they are in a spot and not getting any bites, they pull up the line and move to a new spot. Now, some people, it's a long, they're, they're a long-term my for. But some people, you have to respect their right to say no to you and to me. And maybe... Jesus is saying, it's time to pull up your line. Maybe in the future, God will work in their life. But for now, they're saying no. So maybe it's time to ask for a new my for. To expand your influence beyond the people you're comfortable with. 
into people that God brings into your life and asking him, God, show me who you're bringing into my life. That I might be a voice that declares the truth, not in a judgmental way, but in a discerning, compassionate, humble way. Jesus, uh, I pray you would just take your truth and melt us and mold us and change us so that we are truly people of humility and compassion. And, and I know that <laughs> that's a long journey, rarely finished on the side of heaven, but I pray that we would intentionally be seeking you for heart change, that we'd be so overwhelmed by your mercy and your grace to us that we would carry that same grace to those and recognize that the message that we carry, the message of the gospel, is a hard message. That it doesn't mean we're any better than anyone. We, like them, are beggars looking for bread and the bread of life we have. And so I pray that we, as a church here at Springvale, would be people of grace. That we would stand for what is true, but in a way that loves, a way that is humble, in a way that is attractive to people looking for you. Pray that as we invest in our community through our Christmas offering, that there would be a humility and a compassion and we could identify with people in need and love them from the heart.